Greetings, I am Hardin Coleman, Faculty Director of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at the Boston University Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. Welcome to the Caring Character and Community Podcast. In this podcast, we are bringing together a variety of people who are working to create conditions that support the learning, development, and thriving of children and youth in order to engage in conversations about the work they're doing and its implications for education and supporting human flourishing. We're particularly interested in hearing how these leaders integrate an ethic of care, sense of character, a commitment to equity, and a focus on community into the work, and the role that each of these plays in the outcomes they have achieved. Mike and Reggie, thank you so much for spending time with us. As, as you know, what we're really working on is uh, letting people here in the world, uh, the type of work that's being done to facilitate opportunities for other kids and for, 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 for all children and, and, and young adults and create conditions in which they can learn to flourish and have opportunities. And the two of you have been working in this world, in the higher ed world for, for, for a while. And I just wanna hear your story. So I would love it if you could start with kind of introducing yourself and then talk a little bit about your programming. And then I'm gonna start to ask you some questions and, and we'll just kind of go with that for around uh, 20, 25 minutes, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. I'll start off. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Dennehy. I'm the Executive Director of College Access and Student Success in the Boston University Wheelock College of Education. Our office oversees a number of programs for students as young as uh, kindergarten in the Boston Public Schools, all the way up to um, doctoral fellows through our home scholars programs. And so we have uh, programming in the pre-college space. Uh, Reggie will introduce himself. He'll talk about one of our programs, Upper Bound and Upper Bound Math Science. Uh, we run a Gear Up program that works East, with East Boston High and Umana. We have a literacy program that we partner with student employment on that's funded through America Reads called uh, Build, the Boston University for Initiative and Literacy Development. And it works with 10 elementary schools in Boston. We have a number of undergraduate programs at Boston University. Uh, we have, we're a par partner with two posse cities, Atlanta and the San Francisco Bay Area. We've taken on QuestBridge this year as a new partner working with admissions. We have two Boston-facing scholarship programs, Menino, which is a full tuition merit scholarship, and the BPS Community Scholars, which is a full calculated need for any Boston public school student who, who matriculates at Boston University. And we have a number of other small partnership programs with uh, Philly Futures, Chicago Scholars, Hayden Scholars. And in the graduate space, we have our Home Scholars and Home Masters programs, which help support historically underrepresented masters and doctoral fellows. And we partner with the American Association of Colleges of Teacher Education uh, through those programs. And I'll turn it over to Reggie to talk a little bit about two of our pre-college programs and himself. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so uh, like Mike mentioned, uh, I'm affiliated with the Upper Bound and Upper Bound Math Science programs here at Boston University. I serve as director. Uh, and so the goals of the program is to help students who are uh, who live in Boston and Chelsea uh, to go to and be successful in, in college uh, with the Upper Bound Math Science program, specifically looking at students who uh, should be, um, you know, going to STEM fields, uh, studying STEM in college, going on to those careers. Uh, and so students uh, are starting uh, with our program in ninth to 10th grade. Uh, and then we work with them throughout high school, uh, providing um, after school uh, uh, classes, uh, test prep. Uh, and then during the summer, 
for a six-week residential program. Uh, students are, you know, infused into the university uh, to be able to get a sense of what it's like to, to go to college and be in college, uh, and then taking advantage of the resources, um, you know, so that they can, you know, really, uh, you know, be in a place where they can um, learn, uh, develop, um, uh, exhibit uh, agency uh, and uh, advocacy, and then, you know, learn to be independent with a structure that will support their, their growth. Uh, and so, um, you know, we're, we're uh, happy to be a part of, of Boston University uh, uh, and, uh, you know, continue to uh, do the work we do. Okay, what drew you guys into this work? What was the trigger? What did you see at one point when you were beginning to make decisions about the options? You all, we all had options. I'm sure you had many of them. Uh, what drew you to this work? So, Reg, I want to start with you, and then I'll go with Mike. Uh, sure, yeah, and and you know, this is the, you know, uh, Mike and I and, and some folks attended a, a career um, uh, academic advising symposium today, and and you know, talked a little bit about this and. It's, it's interesting just to think about the trajectory that students at BU and high school students are on and to think about sort of how we came to the space we we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, you know, it, uh, throughout high school, you know, I had opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, so I grew up in New York, uh, in Brooklyn and, and, you know, had a chance to do mock trial and moot court. And, you know, I was really, I was a social science, social studies kind of guy, enjoyed those subjects. Uh, uh, looked at a TV show called L.A. Law at the point at that time. And, you know, it's popular show, you know, part of the must see TV lineup. And, you know, I was like, oh, wow, I want to go into law. I want to make a difference. You know, things were sort of tied up at the end of the show uh, neatly. And and, you know, people got to wear suits. And I was like, oh, I, I want to do that. Um, and then met some folks um, in my mock trial um, preparation who were in college and they were in BU Law School, and they talked about BU and and all the things related to being a lawyer. And I was like, "That's great!" Now, so I'm going to go to BU. I'm going to study law, and then you know I'll be able to to do some good things. And then so um, I applied to BU uh, and and some other schools, uh, um, Penn State uh, being one of them, and and uh, you know some other schools that were on my list. Four schools total, and then um, schools that had nothing to do with each other. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, thankfully I heard back from BU, uh, I got accepted, had a, a very good financial aid package, came to BU. I'm like, okay, I'm going to study law and then learn that you don't do that in undergrad. You got to go to four years of undergrad and then <laughs> go to law school. Um, and then, so, yeah, so I you know, started my undergrad, you know, went through some, some transition into, um, in college and then. You know, it was really during my first year, you know, I saw that, you know, if I want to make a difference, there's a lot of ways to do that, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of students were either pre-med or pre-law. Um, and then so, you know, if I wasn't into law, that you know, the, the law field wasn't going to miss me. Um, but then I started to to do some things around the Boston area. Um you know, there was uh, individuals who worked at BU, staff members, faculty, who talked to me about, hey, maybe you should try this, maybe you should do that, you know, became infused in the university by doing orientation, dean's host, um, you know, different things. And then, um, you know, I had an interview uh, for a, a job, and then and that person doing the interview 
was like, hey, you know, uh, you talk about being interested in, and you, you have fun working with with students, with high school students, with, um, you know, uh, uh, pre-college students, you should look into this Upward Bound program. You know, they have a grant, um, you know, why don't you go over there and, and you know, see, see what they say. So I, I, I literally ran to the Upward Bound program um, after my interview uh, and wanted to, you know, find out about it, work there and, and um, you know, uh, met with the director um, at that time. Uh, uh, Mike was working uh, at Upward Bound at that time as well. And then, um, you know, the rest was, was really kismet. You know, I, I, you know, in the fall, I became a tutor, um, tutored there for two years. And then every summer after I graduated, I actually uh, transferred, not transferred, but I, I began taking education classes because of those experiences at, at um, BU Wheelock. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, um, you know, the rest is history. So, um, so for me, it was really being able to connect with the right people at the right time. And then unfortunately, you know, it's, it's chance, right? You know, I tell people, it's like I'm the Forrest Gump uh, of, of, of circumstances and finding my career path. It's just things that happen to happen for me. And a lot of times there's too much talent, um, you know, in, in our schools to leave it to chance. Um, and so yeah. we, we gotta be more intentional. So so that's what I wanted to do with, with my life is help be intentional and be part of programs that are intentional to help students mm-hmm. go to college. Yeah, okay. And you fell in love here, right? You came to BU, you fell in love. And I found love here. My <laughs> wife okay. was a, a undergrad <laughs> uh, student here. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and now we're married. So. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and Mike, what, what brought you to the work? Yeah, so not too dissimilar from Reggie's story. So I'm a graduate of the Boston Public Schools. I went to Latin Academy and I came to BU on one of the scholarships that is administered in our office. It's now called the Menino Scholars Program after Mir Menino, but it was the Boston High High School Scholars Program. And um, I needed a job one summer. Uh, I always enjoyed education in high school. Um, and I went to my scholarship advisor, who at the time was Ruth Shane, and I said, hey, do you know anybody who's hiring for the summer? And she said, we just got this upper bound grant. We need to hire uh, undergrads to tutor for the summer. Uh, you should apply. So I did. I got the job. And um, my experience with upper bound was life changing. You know, we, a lot of times we talk about the impact on the participants on the program, mm-hmm. but it helped me realize a couple of things. One is. I graduated from an exam school in the city of Boston, Latin Academy. I realized that there were students in the Boston public schools who I grew up in Brighton down the street that lived in my neighborhood that didn't have access to the same college preparatory curriculum that I had. And it really creates a need for programs like Upper Bound, right, to make sure students are academically prepared for college. The other thing it helped me see uh, is it helped me find belonging at BU. Uh, I had real troubles adjusting um, from a socioeconomic standpoint um, to BU. Uh, if you come from a low to middle income, low to middle income background, it can really be a challenge. I struggled academically because I didn't feel like I belonged. And upward bound and employment in upward bound helped me feel connected to the campus in a way that I hadn't felt before. And so then the third thing I would say it did is it helped me realize that, that this whole possible career path of being an educator, working with a a high school age population, which was an age I really enjoy working with, but you can be in a higher ed setting and do it um, and have that impact outside of the classroom. 
And, um, you know, it's not unique to higher ed setting, right? There's a lot of great uh, CBOs that are doing this work as well. But so much um, uh, interaction with youth can ha happen outside of the, you know, typical school day. And so all of that was eye-opening to me. And then a deep desire to, like, help students not have to have some of the same struggles I, I did and mm -hmm. have some of the opportunities um, as well. And so that was a big driver for me to, and I, I remember my first summer with Upper Bound, I said to a, a fellow tutor, we were on a field trip, and I said, one of these days, I'm going to direct this program. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and so I had the privilege of directing Upper Bound. Um, I was working, uh, as Reggie said, um, but I directed the program from 1999 to 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, when Reggie kind of took over as director. So, um, you know, that's kind of like my career journey and why I do this work. Um, all these transition points are hard, especially if you are first gen or low income. Um, and I, I think it speaks to the importance of this work and BU's commitment to it as well. Um, you know, the, all the programs that I just mentioned, you know, BU either supplements our federal funding or funds all of our undergraduate programs mm -hmm. and, and the homes program. So. So I, I have two follow-up questions. I, 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 as you know, I like the, I want the system issues that are important to me and in, in this conversation about how we build these communities and why I need the programs. But I want to start a little bit um, off centered, you know, here you have two intellectually engaged, bright, academic, successful men who could do a lot of other things. How, what, a, how did you find yourself in a world that's focused on caring for others? Kind of, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the message we give boys, certainly, certainly academically proficient. I know both of, both of you, have, you know, have engaged in sports. How, how did you find the opportunity to be, have a profession that's about caring for others? in a very direct, powerful way. So I'm the oldest of five siblings. And so uh, that surrogate parental role uh, creeps its way in just by being the oldest. Um, and I just, um, I've had a lot of adults in my life kind of look out for me. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so between being the oldest of five siblings and appreciating the mentors in my life, when I saw the opportunity to kind of be able to do that on my own um, mm -hmm. and that it could be a career option. Yep. And, and that I'd be giving back to Boston, my, you know, the city that I grew up yep. in. Mm -hmm. um, um, it just makes it a, a really appealing um, career option. It's, it's mm -hmm. um, and the work is just rewarding. Right. And it's, you know, I, uh, you know, that old expression where like, if you love what you do, it's not really work. And yeah, I feel like that that's true. Mm -hmm. How about you, Reggie? Yeah, similarly, um, you know, you know, as, you know, as I was growing up and, and, you know, came to be you, you know, I always gravitated towards opportunities to connect with people and to help mm -hmm. people. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was working with within Upward Bound and, you know, even, you know, doing volunteer work, um, you know, I had friends who were in the special ed program here at, at uh, BU Wheelock um, and they would say, hey, you know, why don't you just come with us um, to work with some students, um, you know, over the weekend. And so, you know, I, I you know, so go to uh, McKinley uh, um, 
pool, which is right by Boston University campus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some staff, um, you know, Ken Elmore, um, who was uh, here at the time, and other staff from the Wellness Center and, and Dean George McKegney, who, who talked about, um, you know, uh, the sort of common ground um, with, in, in regards to Howard Thurman's legacy. You know, we would just do different volunteer work and and um, and group work, and then I just found that it was something that spoke to me, and something that I found easy to like. A lot of people just um, don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, speaking to to kids, and 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 and, and, and in ways that I felt comfortable. Um, and then you know, you know, once I graduated from BU, and I'll never forget this. You know, uh, so I you know graduated from BU. My my freshman year BU was a, a big adjustment, um, but I and I kept in contact with a lot of the friends I made my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And then after graduation, one of the um, the, the floor mates, um, a female student, probably um, you know uh, middle high income from Connecticut, you know, turned to me and said, you know, I would never have graduated uh, BU without you. You're so mm -hmm. helpful. Um, and I didn't really think about it. I didn't think I did anything yeah. unique. Um, uh, just try and, you know, be who I am and, and, and be supportive. Um, and that stuck with me uh, that, you know, it, this is something that I enjoy doing. Um, and uh, it, it, it came natural to me. So, uh, um, so that's how, you know, sort of being in a space to help others and care, mm -hmm. um, you know, is something that I learned from folks who, who you know, were also my mentors um you know including mike um and and things that you know really just have become natural to me yeah yeah i hear i hear um and i and it'd be interesting i, I haven't i haven't kind of investigated this in a systematic way but i do hear from a lot of men in helping professions that they they felt they were well cared for and they, by people who taught them, showed them and taught them that men can care and it kind of worked for them. And then, they, and then when the opportunity came, it was their, their, their chance to give back. Um, so on a totally different plane, um, you were involved in these large programs that take a lot of uh, time, energy, a lot of system work, a lot of recruitment, as you say, fair, significant financial uh, commitment from the the universities and, and your time and others. How come we need these programs? What's what's what what do you what do you see in the way K twelve works or our economy works or family works that these programs that are targeted to meeting the needs of um, you know particularly identified uh, populations? Why do we need them? And uh, is that a natural process or is there something we're not doing someplace else? Well, I mean, I think the uh, biggest predictor of whether someone will go on to college or not is uh, their family's uh, income, right? So mm -hmm. like you can look at a lot of, and, and a lot of that is dictated by where people live. I mean, when you think about programs like Upper Bound, which have been around as part of President Johnson's war on poverty, right? Mm -hmm. So 1965, Yep. The Menino Scholarship, which Boston University established in 1973 as the Boston High Schools program, is about to celebrate its 50th anniversary, and wow. it is part of the university's commitment to the city of Boston, right? So um, 
Yeah, it's complicated. I, I think um, large income inequalities still exist in this country. Uh, I think that precipitates a need for these programs. Um, I think that there are racial disparities that are, are exacerbating this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and I don't think it's all in the schools, right? Uh, you know, Harden, you and I have talked about this, and I think one of your visions was is that holistic is not just the school's responsibility, yeah. but like what role do businesses play? What role do other so uh, other sectors of the society play? And I think one of the things we learned during the pandemic was too much was put on the schools, right? They became mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how kids got breakfast and lunch, how they got services that would be, you know, as the gatekeeper for, not gatekeeper, but the facilitator for how students could get and families could get services outside of school. And I think um, that's too much of a burden on any system. And then mm-hmm. I, that I think institutions of higher education, the business sector, We've got to provide that wraparound support to schools to make sure that all of our children are thriving. So, Mike, you say we we have to. We got to. How come? What, what drives you to believe that somehow this we, this broad community of privilege, have a commitment to make this happen? What, what drives that in your, what, what, what draws that out of you? I think because to be a just, fair society, we've got to love other people's children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we aren't doing that, then then we're not mm-hmm. we're not setting up the best possible future that we could have, not just for other people's children, but for our own children. Uh, and so um, I, I am deeply believe that is a societal obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just the responsibility of the schools. It's not just the responsibility of, of children's parents or, or caretakers. It is a societal responsibility that I think, and despite Jeff- all of Jefferson's faults, and I just saw Hamilton with my family last weekend. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he had lots believe, of them. <laughs> yeah, he did believe that education was a, a foundational idea mm-hmm. in great, to, to have a, a just, flourishing democracy. How about, you, how about you, Reggie? What do you, what do you think? I mean, did, is, is this a nat? Is the work you do uh, a natural outcome of what my, my my social critical kids will call a capitalist society that is about competition and and not caring for everyone? This, or or is this how how come this work has to be done? Yeah, I mean, to, to be true to what the framers of the constitution say, and, and um, you know, to really give those who don't have the opportunity to pursue um, happiness, um, you know, uh, as an alienable, uh, an alienable right. Um, the education is a part of that. And, and mm-hmm. so we know that historically, because a lot of folks were left out of educational opportunities. Um, so the work that that is being done through uh, Upward Bound and through scholarship and fellowship program um, throughout the Office of College Access and Student Success is to try and, uh, you know, level the playing field. You know, yeah. it's really meeting, um, you know, a, a societal need um, to make sure that, you know, all st- folks have the opportunity 
um, to go to college and be successful in college. Um, and they go on to, uh, you know, professions where, you know, folks are, are it, it's, uh, we're, we're lacking in the, the breadth of, um, uh, uh, diversity, mm-hmm. of many fields. Um, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I'm glad that, you know, Mike brought up Hamilton because, you know, too many times, you know, for those who've seen Hamilton, uh, the right folks are not in the room when it happens. And mm-hmm. so um, to, to be able to be part of programming that helps ensure that more folks are qualified to be in those rooms mm-hmm. uh, is important. And you know, a lot of people are like, okay, well, you know, folks, you know, after high school, you know, they can go make money doing this or make money doing that. And at a certain extent, uh, money is important. Uh, but when you talk about changing someone's um, uh, trajectory, yeah. um, social networks are important, right? And then um, opportunities to be decision makers are important. Mm-hmm. And so if we're just funneling folks who are black and brown and, and not have the income means to different professions where they can't make decisions for our future, um, that's not really what the United States is is uh, supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to the conversations I have with with uh, you know as, as as cross groups that we're trying to grapple with these issues. Some people will argue that well, it's something in the individual that matters, and it really just have to create conditions which the individual can succeed. Your programs are you know you, you you're working with individuals. But you do a lot of community building, right? And you talked about earlier a sense of your own sense of belonging. So when you when you hear people say, "Well, if the individual really wants it, they can get it; they'll be successful." And if they don't really want it, then the outcomes they that they're having they they kind of bought into. How do you respond to that? From a, a what's your perspective? How do you how would you encourage me and when I'm on those arguments uh, to respond? Yeah, I mean, uh, with the symposium that we're at at today, Michael Collins from Jobs for the Future um, talked a lot about the labor market and job Mm -hmm. opportunities. And one of the things he said that resonated with me was that so many jobs are filled by personal referrals, right? And so um, as a society, we have to appreciate the students that don't have the social capital to know some, have an uncle or a parent or a friend mm-hmm. a parent of a friend that can make that referral yep. to a job that maybe didn't even get posted right mm-hmm. and it's that network it's that network that um a lot of students just don't have access to yep. uh and so um i think programs like ours help foster that network mm-hmm. i think about uh the posse program for example right it's a well established national model deborah beal is a macarthur winner uh yep. as a result of it uh and um and i think it it's that power of the network and the social capital that 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 students can get access to through these programs mm-hmm. so but so Reggie, what why should a higher education institution like BU and you know BC has it, Harvard, Leslie's doing this. A lot of people are doing this work, as you say, over bounds of national program been around for for um, you know for for decades. Why should higher ed organization make these investments? So we're we're going to get a new president, 
and a provost at BU and this changeover. If when that person comes in, what do you what what do you want to tell them that this is an investment that's central to the mission, not just a nice public add-on? Well, I mean, I think in in higher ed, you know, often you know, folks talk about, you know, uh, pipeline issues. Um, mm. And, you know, you know, we're not able to get students um, who are underrepresented in certain fields because, um, you know, whether it's STEM fields or, you know, whatever fields, basically every field, um, because, um, you know, we can't attract them, we don't know where they are, we, you know. Um, and so higher ed, um, if it's to to really be able to uh, have students be a part of the fabric of their institutions mm-hmm. uh, uh, who are from underrepresented groups, they have to be in the game uh, of, yeah. of making sure that students are prepared um, uh, for um, higher education um, and that those who take up the space of their universities, right, and so for BU, that's you know Boston and you know a little bit of Brookline and and and, and Austin, um, you know are you know we're good stewards of these spaces too, and we're providing the, the, the community with opportunities within uh, the university. So when when I grew up in New York, um, you know Brooklyn College was a stone's throw from where I grew up, and you know you know I was introduced to my first. Um, a lot of musical performances, a lot of plays, a lot of um, opportunities, you know, playing on Brooklyn College's field mm-hmm. because it was so close um, and mm-hmm. they had an open door policy um, without. So I didn't grow up with Upper Bound. And so without having the college so close, I, I, I would not really be um, comfortable being on a college campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I had that opportunity growing up. There are students who do not have that opportunity. Um, and even though, you know, BU, Northeastern, some of the schools you mentioned are stones throw from their house, you know, it, um, you know, it, it's it's not always, uh, you know, an opportunity for them to be on campus and take advantage of, of the facility. So, um, so, you know, so I really think it, it behooves the institutions to, to be a part of this. I mean, luckily, BU is you yeah. know, very supportive. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think makes sense if colleges are really, um, you know, want to make a difference in their student body, their faculty and their staff. But you, you're and I, I, don't let me put words in your mouth, but let me try. Right. Um, I hear you say that if a higher ed institution is committed to creating, um, uh, preparing, maintaining a civil society with equal opportunity, it it should be making affirmative actions, extra efforts to create opportunities and access, starting in kindergarten, not just waiting until the kids show up at 17, 18. They have to be actively involved in creating, and, and they may not come to BU, but they're preparing, that's part of a community. And then the other thing, and, and, and correct me wrong, then, then also it's our ability to recruit people like you into these caring professions by giving you these opportunities to mentor and work with people while you're in that formative stage of college. Are those fair statements for me to make? Absolutely. Um, and it's really, 
you know, folks like me who once you're in the, these positions, um, you know, even as an undergrad, you know, then, you know, like Mike said, it's really me who's benefited immensely mm-hmm. from from being a part of this um, and my my own professional develop but development um, and my perspective of the world. Um, you know, and, and folks who have been staff with, with Upper Bound and, and, uh, who've been mentors, uh, to, um, you know, Menino scholars and such, you know, uh, they've said the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, there's another set of questions about, uh, how you work across institutions, how you keep all these partnerships going that I want to come back to the sec in your second interview. I'm going to come back to you. Don't, so you, this is not the one, one and only. But before I let you go, I want to start. I don't know if you're an Ezra Klein podcast fan. Do you listen to Ezra Klein? I'm, 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 I'm a little bit of an addict. And he asked the question, what are the three books you've read? Well, I want to be broad in that. I don't want to be a complete copycat. You know, what are the three podcast plays, books, um, movies that you would recommend that people are interested in creating organizations that uh, provide access and opportunities to care that you think they should read or listen to or experience? Besides Hamilton. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, and there's been classes at Harvard and Boston University about this show. I'm a huge fan of HBO's The Wire. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think um, it does a, a... a good job of exposing some of the inequities um, in season four in particular, which looks at the schools um, and, and how so much of the, the struggle of the, the five boys that are in that season um, weren't just in school, but were in, um, uh, in other, you know, other segments of society and how it's not just a school problem. It's a societal problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of NPR, and so I, I, I you know, so I, it's not really a podcast, but I think um, I actually listen quite frequently to um, uh, Kai Rizdahl from the 6 to 6.30 about the economy, uh, because I think that um, plays a lot of, it influences what's going to impact families, and what impacts families impacts students, right? And so yeah. having an appreciation for the economics of the country and then the local economics that goes into that. I think as citizens, we're, you know, if we're, if we talk about economic mobility, we've got to understand the economic system. Uh, and so then I'm, I'm just a news junkie in general. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm a big newspaper consumer, evening news. Um, and so when I read, that's what I tend, that tends to be my default. I'm a, kind of a news current events junkie. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks. How about you, Reggie? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think one, uh, you know, it's uh, the privileged poor um, uh, is, mm-hmm. is something that um, by um, Dr. Anthony um, Jack uh, is is really uh, for those who are tr- who want to get a sense of you know once you go to college, uh, what are what are some of the systems that are set up that uh, are not uh, supportive of um, underrepresented groups. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so, um, so that's, you know, I'm always, whenever I have a chance to, to pick it up, hear from Dr. Uh, Jack, I'm, I'm, there's something new that I'm learning related to, you know, the, um, the differences in terms of how people are, are, are experiencing college yeah. and what um, programs uh, should exist in the pre-college college level uh, mm-hmm. to be able to support students so that they, uh, they feel more belonging, uh, you know, while they're um, in college. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, you, know, uh, you know, I'm going to go old school and, you know, there's, uh, there's programming. Um, so A Different World was, um, you know, a TV show, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, folks um, who were experiencing how it was to be, uh, go to historically black college. Um, and, and show in the late 80s, early 90s, um, and Kadeem Hardison uh, um, and uh, Debbie Allen produced uh, a lot of the shows too. And so it really gives you a window. And for me, it was the first time to see like people who look like me who were in college. Yeah, right? yeah. And then, so when you look at a show like that, it really gives you a sense of, okay, what are some of the things that um, that students who are black uh, uh, think about what their experiences in college should, should look like, should be like? Um, and it gives you a window of some of the things that, um, you know, uh, are important um, to, uh, to those who go to college. One of the things that as institutions, we all need to do better at is, you know, we're, we're very excited about trying to attract people of color, Pell eligible students into our institutions yep. before we have all the systems in place to help mm-hmm. them feel welcome, right? Yeah. Yep. So, um, so I want to so, uh, bring up some, some previous pop culture, um, you know, into that as well. Okay, thanks. Actually, there was, you'd appreciate there was a recent, um, in the conversation a little, a little bit about this uh, faculty member at Amherst College who's for 20 years or more has been interviewing black and white students about their experience. And three interviews over a year, over 10 years post-college too. So it's keeping up and, and, and the different experiences, particularly at a college that over that time has become 50% diverse from a, from a, yeah, as my father would have called a, a school for white boys with white shoes to a co-ed, multiple, multiple cultures and backgrounds, diverse school. So it's an interesting story about the, the challenges and speaks to the value to all students of a diverse setting and also the particular demands on students of color in those settings and the kind of bicultural qualities they have to develop. So it's an interesting, um, uh, a quick read I'll, I'll, I'll email to you. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and appreciate what, love what you do, appreciate what you do. And, and I know that uh, we at BU and are, are, are blessed to have you and the world's better for the work you do for, for all our children. So thank you very much. You have a great day. Thanks, Arden. Thanks for having us. Thank you. the Caring, Character, and Community podcast from the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. I'm Hardin Coleman, and I co-produce this podcast with Elizabeth Barquet, 
with support from BU Wheeler. The music you're hearing is Bluesy Vibes by Doug Maxwell, courtesy of Media Right Productions.